What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the For the Berg podcast. As always, I am your host, Ron Gaeta. My guest today is the guitar player of one of the bands that introduced me to harder music early on about 20 years ago. Today, I have Dan Jacobs from Atreyu. Dan talks about his experiences recording every single Atreyu record. We talk about WWE's Bella Twins being in their Right Side of the Bed music video. He tells us what guitar design of his is his favorite and find out which member of the band CKY ends up being his daily jagoff. Awesome stuff, guys. Enjoy. Nope. Mr. Pop. All right, guys, today I have Dan Jacobs from Atreyu. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just uh, getting through the old quarantine. Yeah, uh, staying, staying busy during the uh, quarantine there then? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. We, uh, I, uh, I run a business on the side from uh, being in a band uh, with my brother, so we, we sell masks and stuff. Uh, um, we do merchandising, but we've turned to doing masks because it's uh, a necessity at the time. Yeah, for sure. Is that um? There were a couple of things I saw. You had the the plugins, uh, keychains, and then also Rock World merch. Is was that the the merchandise company? Yeah, yeah. So plugins is uh yeah, it's a little keychain company that basically started uh um from this uh idea from our buddy Mike, who is our, our business partner. Um, he started a Kickstarter with this thing years ago, and uh, you know came to us and said, hey, I have this this idea. It's kind of you know taken off a little bit. I just don't know what to do with it. So uh, with our company, Rock World Merchandise, we basically started helping him develop the product and turning it into something like, you know, cool and usable. And um, from there, we got like a, a licensing deal with Marshall and now with Fender and basically make a cool little guitar amp keychain holder that, uh, you know, it's a legitimately one of the coolest uh, keychain holders in, in the world. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah um, start most of these with um, just maybe get into your earlier musical influences when you decided you wanted to be in a band uh, or, or playing music for a living or when you knew that was actually a possibility. Um, I guess my first musical influences uh, uh, before even getting into music was kind of uh, or playing music, I should say, it was stuff from like the 50s, 60s and whatnot. It was uh, I'd listen to like, you know, oldies stations, which now, you know, classic rock stations and stuff, they, they play you know stuff from like the 90s even. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I used to listen to that kind of stuff. And then when the nineties came around, I was, uh, about 12 years old at the time in mid nineties. And, uh, I was a big fan of green day and, um, just seeing Billy Joe and just kind of the way that he looked and the way he did things on stage and, um, the music videos and stuff. I just thought he was so cool. And all the girls at school would talk about him and thought he was so cool. And all the guys thought, you know, green day was so cool. They were like the biggest thing at the time, you know? And, um, between that and uh, this guy named uh, Brian Kelly, who I sat next to in my first period class in seventh grade, I think it was a, a history class. Um, I sat next to this dude. All the desks were paired off in twos, and I randomly sat next to this guy, and he happened to be a uh, a drummer. He just kind of re- within that year started playing drums. So he kind of you know became friendly with myself just because we sat next to each other in class. And in him talking to me about drums and stuff all the time, he kind of got me onto the idea of like, dude, you should, you know, if you like Green Day and stuff like that, like I play drums, like you should play guitar. I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should play guitar, you know, maybe that could be cool, you know. So that's what inspired me to at least go uh, initially go get a guitar and, you know, try to start doing something. Awesome. Um, something that I've done with a few guests on the show, uh, when it when it makes sense, 
it's uh like, like an album run through just a quick story about each um each album about maybe the recording process or just what was going on uh during that time and then maybe just your one personal favorite song from each album yeah cool uh start with uh the debut album suicide notes and butterfly kisses uh so that album was for us you know an interesting experience because we'd never really done anything like that before we never recorded in a quote-unquote like real studio we'd done stuff locally here and there and try to dabble with a, a record label or two here and there but nothing really you know major by any means you know um so that was when we first got signed to victory records and they picked us up and basically we're like we have a studio we want you to use it's um in south river new jersey and we want to fly you guys out there and have you record your record there and we're like okay and like they record a um you know, the dude, Eric Rachel, that did the record um, at that studio, um, he'd done stuff with, like Skid Row and um, even work like The Misfits and things like that. And a lot of bands that like I personally was a big fan of, uh, especially around that time and even years before that. So it was really cool to go um, as a young kid. I was 19 at the time when we first went out there and uh, I never really traveled anywhere other than going to like, you know, being from California, Southern California. I'd only been to like Las Vegas or, you know, a little bit of Arizona or up north California because I have family from up there. Uh, so going, you know, across the states was my first experience or anybody in our band really experiencing anything like that um, and seeing New York City for the first time. And it was wild. Like we didn't have any money or anything like that. So the whole experience was super, you know, just we were all sleeping in the same hotel room. We'd share beds or somebody would sleep on the floor. Um, I even remember the first night we got there, you know, the five of us. I don't remember where we were. I think we got dropped off somewhere. Um, I can't remember. It was by a a shuttle or something like that and we got food and we were kind of like didn't know how to get to the hotel and this random guy this like russian dude or something like this with this thick accent came out of the bar kind of we weren't sure he was drunk or not this restaurant that we were standing in front of and uh told us it was his birthday and he offered us to give us a ride you know we we're like all right like cool so we all crammed with this dude's car and he started driving around telling us about how he was really into like shooting and like really into like skeet shooting or some weird or like where you ski and shoot and we're like what a weird sport to be into you know like why is this guy telling us this you know and like he kept missing the exits that we needed to go to like took us forever to get back we thought this guy was gonna kill us but yeah i don't know we got in the studio and and uh eventually and you know it took us two weeks to record the whole thing and i don't know the whole process was uh you know like i said we didn't really know what we were doing so we were just kind of trying to cram songs out i mean there's literally um a bunch of stuff on that record when i listened to it i'm like oh yeah we forgot to put that part in there like oops yeah i messed that part up a little bit right there but didn't really have time to fix it you know mm-hmm. and uh it wasn't easy as to uh, as easy to fix then as it was uh now with technology right well what would your favorite song be off of that record um favorite song i don't know that's a tough one maybe dilated just nice, got a cool vibe to it um at the time it felt like a very different song than the rest of the songs on the album so uh i don't know it had a cool it had a cool breakdown in it and stuff and at the time breakdowns were really important you know so. oh yeah i had dn the arsonist was was mine on there oh nice moving on to the next album here the curse um the curse so the curse for us was like a um you know as far as the recording process and stuff that was even like another step up where now we were going to record up in um gibson island up in canada like kind of near vancouver and uh we did it with this guy garth richardson he goes by garth richardson because he has a stutter he literally puts three g's in front of his name and stuff and kind of rolls with the whole stutter thing but that was interesting because it was i mean it was it's a pretty dark record you know um visually and lyrically and it was recorded on this island you know like not this beautiful like tropical island by any means we're up in you know canada so like 
it was it was kind of cold out and we were at garth's house and he had basically two pieces of prop or like property on the on the on the land one was his house that he had the studio in as well and then he also had like a guest house and we stayed in that and for two weeks we didn't go anywhere we were basically quarantined to this house and just went between the house and the studio and just recorded the curse and like we were just losing our minds because you understand back then there, there was no we weren't we didn't have cell phones or like the internet or anything to like sit there and like you know fucking surf the web or play video games or something you just sit there and watch tv or just fucking kill time you know like just nothing to do just losing your mind just drinking excessively and um i remember alex in particular drinking a lot of blueberry stoli vodka during that period of time um we kicked out our bass player at, during the that recording process oh man well it was uh he was our original bass player i guess if, well not i guess We've had a few kind of original bass players, quote unquote. But um, Chris Thompson, he was with us. He was a guy we went to high school with. We started touring with him and, you know, he kind of was a little bit reckless, uh, was the one person in the band that um, nobody seemed to like if you were not in the band. You know, people just didn't like him as well as, he, he, you know, we had a little bit of uh, a rough time with him. And then when it basically, when it came time to do this, this record, um, we had a month to do the record. And the, basically the way it was split up is we flew initially to um to vancouver and brian adams has a studio up there called the warehouse that we tracked all the drums and did pre-production and then we also did we did that for a week and then we went did two weeks at, at a garth studio and then came back for another week to mix the record and do any overdubs or finish up anything we needed so within that first week we got up there and like we needed to know our songs and like the curse was the first album that we ever had where we literally were so prepared where we came we wrote all the songs ourselves we demoed all of them ourselves with like we had some to like record them all for us put them in order that they should be on the cd and then we brought them up there and gave them to the producer and he was like yeah this is fucking cool let's just record this so we're like all right you know there was no like all right let's change this and do that or whatever let's try a different vibe here like i don't know about this guys you know going in a weird direction it was just cool yeah let's do this and um, when we were trying to do pre-production, start recording bass um, and the drums initially there, which it's, we, you know, our time's limited, it's costing money. Um, he just didn't know how to play any of the songs. He just didn't learn them. You know, he just wasn't prepared. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't a kind of writing session where you just go in there and you're like, all right, you come in with nothing and you just kind of piece stuff together. And by the end of the day, you have a song like these were written. We have limited time. We got to get in there and knock it out. And he just wasn't prepared. And like we were already kind of on the fence with him as well as him, him and his wife. Um kind of were leading in a direction where he didn't really want to be on the road. She didn't really want him on the road. They wanted to start a family and go down that path. So it just, it just felt like at the time, you know, that was what needed to happen. So we basically were like, all right, you know, we'll give him a few chances. And then we brought him into the room and had Garth basically just be like, look, man, I, I don't know how to tell you, but you're not cutting it. We don't have time for this. We're going to bring in a, another bass player to do this. And he essentially, it was like, all right, well, if that's the case, like guys, I'm going to kind of, you know, lay down my sword and I'm going to kind of, you know, call it quits. And we're like, all right, you know, I think that's a good idea. So it's kind of a mutual thing at that point. The initial sting was done by Garth. So that took a lot of weight off our shoulders, you know, thanks Garth. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, thanks Garth. But uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I think the record, the weight of the the darkness of it and stuff came from just a lot going on, you know, us, you know, getting rid of our bass player and going through a transitional stage as well as it being our sophomore record, which is really important. You know, it, it it's like, is this band legit? You know, we did okay on it first, but like how legit are they really? We'll find out on this album. Um, on top of just all of us where we were in our lives, you know, with relationships or things like that, just everybody was kind of in a dark place. So that kind of all came through during the recording process. 
for sure. Uh, what would you pick for your your personal favorite song on that one? It was Right Side of the Bed. Um, it was for a couple reasons. I mean, one, it's a, a song that I had a prominent part in in writing, um, as well as it being our first song that like kind of launched our band, you know, and people started to, you know, start to like metal if you didn't like metal, you know, because you heard that song, they're like, oh, maybe I do like metal, like, or maybe I do like heavier music, as well as the song, like a, a little fun fact about that song, it's actually, um, so when I, we were in high school, um, myself, Alex and Brandon all went to high school together, there we had a band, uh, myself and Brandon had another band called Dreaming in Blue for a short period of time. And Dreaming in Blue consisted of myself on guitar, uh, the other guitar player was this guy named Andy Lara, who played in a band called nightfall and that's where we found mark and we knew andy he was in a band with mark so when we needed a bass player we basically took mark for andy's band um the bass player was essentially the original bass player of atreyu his name's kyle stanley he's not like a famous dentist out here in beverly hills wow. but um he uh he was in a, we were in a band called retribution before this he was the bass player and when we trans just transitioned into atreyu who kind of still in the band and then he eventually we, we got rid of him and moved on but also in this band, you had Brandon on drums, and the singer was a guy named Johnny Russell. And Johnny Russell went on to play guitar in the band Cold War Kids. Wow. Um, yeah, super random, right? There's a bunch what? of people at our school. I can get into a whole weird thing about our school, about all the famous people that came out of our school in what the four years that I went there. What school is this? Uh, Esperanza High School in Anaheim, California. Because there's, I talked to a few other guys that are from, uh, it was like Vista High School, that a bunch okay. of them came out of there too, like Cove Reber, Joey Bradford, and uh, oh, like yeah. Phil from As Dying, a bunch of dudes. I'm like, what the hell is going on with these, these high schools out there in California? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have awesome, a whole though. situation like that too. I could, uh, I'll yeah. tell you about it a bit, but long story short, right side of the bed was originally a song for dreaming in blue and it was like not as heavy of a song um i still have the recording somewhere it's it's super random to hear because the singer you know it's johnny who plays guitar normally and um he's left the band out but he was the original member of cold war kids um singing and he sounds like a little pubescent girl <laughs> he sounds he's got the highest voice but yeah right so the bed was originally a song for that and that's uh, really cool though. we just you know transitioned it made it heavier change the chorus and stuff and you know it's the same guitar solo note for note and everything it's it's uh wow yeah just we were in high school that's really that's awesome uh another uh fact about that the the bella twins from wwe whatever are in that video yeah that's that's crazy and i've seen them talk about that on on tv i'm like wait the bell like wwe bella twins are in the right side of the bed music video did you yeah. did you know that like yes wait, but, really uh, <laughs> that's yeah. they weren't like as big of a deal at the time i don't not then no I mean, that's what I was gonna say. Four, you know right did you ever like did you see them on tv like wait those are the girls from that right side of the bed video no i didn't think until years later like somebody mentioned it and i was like oh that's who that was like Oh, I didn't even didn't even know. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Like I said at, at the time, I guess. Yeah, they were just people looking for work. My song on that would have been "You Eclipsed by Me." Um, next album here, um, a "Death Grip on Yesterday." So, "Death Grip on Yesterday" was yeah third record. Uh, that was the first one we were finally like, you know, let's just try recording at home somewhere. Like, let's not go on these journeys because it's kind of hard being away from home for long periods of time and trying to be creative and do all this stuff. We were just kind of, especially where we were, you know, at the time, it just was too much. So we're like, let's record at home. Similar kind of thing. We had all the songs pretty much, for the most part, mostly written before we came in. And uh, day one, I remember of tracking with him, he was actually kind of a disappointment as far as what he brought to the table. Um, what he's actually capable of, I'm not really sure. He was literally never at any of the recording sessions. He, I think he showed up twice. Once was like day one. Well, three times. Once was the meeting we had with him to like see if we wanted to work with him. We're like, all right, cool. Second time was day one when we tracked drums. And uh, I remember uh, we were tracking the drums 
and we were playing, uh, we were doing her portrait in black. That was the first thing we were recording because um, we had to get that done first because it was getting picked up by uh, that movie. Um, Underworld, Underworld or whatever, yeah. Was that yeah. even on, was that on the album? Uh, no, it was supposed yeah. to be, but we ended up pulling it because they wanted it exclusively. That's, what That's I why thought, the album yeah. has nine songs instead of ten songs. Yep. A lot of people complain that the sh- album was too short. It was, it was short, but I mean, it's nothing you can do. Yeah, we're supposed to have 10, you know, like, but, yeah. and it, honestly, I mean, her portrait in black would have been amazing on there. It would have really made that record even that fatter, a, you know? That was a great song. Thank you. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it just kind of worked out like that. But um, we we started tracking drums with him. And I remember, you know, Brandon was recording that drum part at the beginning, which is just, you know, drums by itself. And he's doing it and uh, we get through the first take and he's like, oh, it sounds cool. Sounds cool to me. Right. We're good. And I'm like, nah, actually, I heard he like clicked his stick like on the second time he came over and hit the snare, like his sticks clicked together. And he's like, really? And he goes back and he listens to it. And he's like, oh, they did. He's like, yeah, let's do another take. We're like, really? Like, I mean, that's like, that's what this dude's bringing. Like, well, this is take one, you know, we're like, what kind of ear does this guy really have? You know? And then we never saw him again. So we wow. spent, it was just us doing it by ourselves again, but with Ryan, the, the dude that was doing uh, the engineering. And uh, he was awesome. He was great. He was really easy to work with, fun to work with. Like, he was the man. Like, he really was the one to give the hats off to as far as bringing anything to the table other than ourselves um, to that album. But, um, yeah, that um, there's one kind of funny story when we were recording it. Um, Dave Navarro was recording stuff there at the same time. And one day he came in early uh, to do something before we were supposed to be there and saw that we were recording whatever. And our other guitar player, Travis, hadn't showed yet, showed up yet. We thought it'd be funny to have Dave Navarro sit there with Travis's guitar and pretend like he was tracking Travis's parts for him. So <laughs> Travis is coming to be like, wait, what the fuck? Like, you guys brought in Dave Navarro to track my parts for me? Like, <laughs> this is the best, worst thing ever, you know? Right. But um, yeah, so yeah, needless to, needless to say, we did this and Travis was pretty shocked and uh, pretty entertained by the whole thing. That's awesome. Uh, favorite song from that one? Uh, I'm going to go with My Fork in the Road. Your Private War was mine. Um, next one here, Lead Sales, Paper Anchor. Lead Sales, Paper Anchor. So that one was our first like major label debut. Um, we got the chance to record our first album uh, with John Feldman. And everything about this whole situation for us was just like, holy shit, we're in the major leagues now. Like This is our chance to just go big and show everybody what we're really made of and what else we can do. Um, as well as getting to work with John Feldman, who, you know, basically helped blow up the used and story of the year and a bunch of other artists, even good Charlotte, all these bands that like this, like this dude who was, you know, is, was, and is the singer of Goldfinger, who myself and everybody in my band grew up listening to. So to get to a point in our lives where it's like, oh, cool. Like we're going to go record with John Feldman, the singer of Goldfinger. He's going to record our band. Like, are you freaking kidding me? We're going to do this at his house. Like, hell yes. And this is going to be on hollywood records which is disney's record label you know we were on the same label as the jonas brothers and hillary duff like it was very strange <laughs> of course they had breaking benjamin on there too you know it was we weren't too lonely on there right but, yeah uh, yeah it was a uh, it was an interesting place place to be but um yeah john feldman like it was cool doing that album because i mean he lived in bel in bel-air at the time you know he had this just gorgeous house and it was like wow this is like we just feel like big time you know we're like this super you know famous successful dude's house that we admire and um you know we get to help you know we get to write songs with him and stuff and he's gonna record us and make us sound bigger and better than we've ever sounded we're like i can't wait to see what that sounds like you know so he kind of pushed us in in ways um to showcase what we were best at um which is something that we were a little bit afraid to do to an extent like we always wanted to grow with more with each album but with that album it was like man like i don't know like he wanted to kind of take us out of our comfort zones. He's like, you guys are capable of so much more. Like just, you know, just, just try other stuff. Like, let's just, let's just try stuff. And that's where 
stuff like Falling Down or even doing songs like Blow or um, even Lose It, you know, stuff like that all kind of came to fruition because we were like, all right, let's just do something different and see what happens. You know, we want to sound like a Treyu, but like a Treyu on steroids in arenas, you know, like that was kind of what we wanted it to sound like, you know, and uh, he helped us achieve that, you know, and it kind of um, kind of molded our band in a way and kind of showed us like, wow, like there's so much more that we're capable of doing and it ended up being our most successful record we've ever released so far so uh yeah that was kind of eye-opening for us and uh, opened a lot of doors for us and kind of sent us in a uh, a different direction favorite song would be blow awesome uh next one here congregation of the damned uh congregation okay so congregation we did in woodland hills again keeping it local um uh, that's you know at this point all our records we just do them local now we did it with bob marlette he was kind of known for doing like saliva and some other, again, some other kind of big rock bands, Blackstone Cherry, stuff like that. And we're like, okay, like, let's, we, you know, as you can see, we have a pattern here. We've gone to a different producer every album because, you know, we keep thinking maybe the grass would be greener on the other side or there's something that we don't know or they, they know that we, we haven't found out yet because we haven't gone to the right producer and whatever it is. And um, as much as, you know, John Feldman helped us step it up in a way, it also was, you know, because it made us so uncomfortable and made our fan base a little bit kind of shaken by what we did, some people were kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know, like, what is the trade you doing? It made us kind of question ourselves a little bit. And going into Congregation of the Damned, the album kind of has for us that feel of like, we don't know which way we're going. Like, should we go back more towards Lead Sales or back towards, you know, a death grip on yesterday or totally different direction? Or like, we just weren't really sure. And um, music in general was kind of shifting at the time. And just everything about that, that time was uh, kind of weird because like, um, and this kind of ties in with all of our records, but all of our record titles, which somebody brought up to us one time, like almost kind of, you know, are us to an extent, you know, like, um, you know, Congregation of the Dam, basically for us, we were the Congregation of the Dam, our band was, you know, Suicide Notes was um, this um, introduction um, album, you know, like Suicide Notes and Butterflies, it was kind of like this kind of, you know, growing, becoming thing, this rebirth thing or whatever. And then you had The Curse, which was kind of like falling in love. And then you had, you know, Death Grip on Yesterday, which was kind of like burning, this dude burning. And then you had Lead Sales Paper Anchor. So it was kind of like live, love, burn, die. And we didn't even realize that we were doing that. And it kind of just came out that way. And then we got to Congregation of the Damned. And that was the album where we, after that, we're kind of like, maybe we need to take a break for a little bit. So it was like weird. Like our albums kind of told our story even deeper than we even realized. It was almost like the story was already written before we even did it favorite song off of that one uh favorite song off that one um i'm gonna go with wait for you awesome again another like let's just take a a freaking left turn and write a power ballad you know like it's something that a tray is capable of and enjoys so we're like let's let's just write a power ballad and for me it was my first song um that i ever wrote via piano and brought to the table for a tray nice um next here long live uh so long live um was kind of like again another rebirth we're kind of starting over again um, we came back and uh, after taking a four year hiatus and wanted to just kind of get out some aggression. So we just kind of went nuts and uh, the, the record's a lot heavier in that sense. It kind of has more of a curse era vibe to it um, mixed with everything we kind of learned along the way. We did it with Fred Archambault, who is a sweetheart of a man, just a great dude. Uh, he did some of the earlier uh, Event Sevenfold stuff. Um, he's worked with a lot of bands in our genre as well as did Brandon, our drummer slash singer, uh, Brandon's other band, Hell or High Water, which Joey Bradford was in. Um, yeah, that song. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, where are we at here? The next album, the the latest one, um, in our wake. Um, in our wake. Um, we went back to John Feldman again. Um, he's now moved to Calabasas and has a beautiful house there now, which is really nice to record at. And uh, he interacts with a lot of um, just really top tier uh, musicians. And uh, it's it's just a cool environment to be in. You go there and you record and you write and just famous people come in and out all the time and just drop in and just record stuff here and there. And you're like, yeah, this is just a cool like environment to be in, you know, like um we uh yeah we just love that whole energy that he brings to the table and especially at that point like john's career is elevated so much and his abilities and what he brings to the table it was even so much more and for us like we kind of gotten out that aggression on long live and we're like you know we want to kind of do something bigger again and uh, looking back on everything that we'd ever done and what worked um especially because at that point we've been a band for almost 20 years you know like to be a band for two decades and still be relevant and still touring is is very rare so we have, and because of um, you know modern technology, we have statistics we can look back on and see what worked and what didn't. And with that being said, the stuff we did with John was the most successful. So we're like, you know what, like that kind of pushed us the most to the next level and was the most successful in the long the long run. So we're like, let's go back to John and and uh, and try that out again. And we did in our wake, which was awesome. I mean, it was. Uh, it felt good, man. It's it's he's got he's just got something that he brings to the table. This magic thing about him, this juju about him, that's just um, awesome. And um, yeah, we love working with him. So had to do it. Oh yeah, uh, favorite song from that one? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, House of Gold. Cool. And you guys just um, released a music video from for the song Superhero off of that yeah. record, right? Uh, with um, M Shadows and uh, Aaron from Under Oath. Uh, what was what was it like working with those guys on that uh, song and video? And uh, to be honest, I mean it was all shot at different locations, and so we didn't even you know we weren't even really there when they were shooting their stuff. Um, more so during the recording process, uh, Brandon went down there for a little bit just to make sure they were kind of doing what. Um, what we wanted or in the vein of what needed to be done. Um, but I mean, those guys we've known for so long, you know, um, so long, like since the, uh, you know, almost late nineties, early two thousands, we've been, uh, playing shows with those dudes and collaborating occasionally here and there. So it was, uh, you know, it's just kind of like homies coming over and it's like, all right, guys, we're going to, we got a jam here. Like, you know what to do. Um, then earlier this year, you guys released the song Battle Drums. Yeah. Is that um, a little taste of maybe, maybe some new, a new album or anything like that coming out or? Um, we're working on new material right now. We've been uh, doing some stuff here and there. Um, as far as doing stuff, more stuff with Kazo, like at the moment, we don't have any plans, but like we would love to just cause it's a, uh, just a fun different twist on our band like you know originally when that style of music started becoming popular it wasn't something that we were familiar with or you know interested in going going down that road but uh i don't know it's just it's art you know and it's it's fun especially for a band like us to be around as long as we have um it's fun just kind of trying different stuff and just seeing what else we can do with our creativity and our band is um not to toot our own horn but is a group of very creative guys very talented creative guys and we're really easy to work with as a group and uh, I don't know, we can do any style of music. So getting in with that and a Kazo being a fan of our band and wanting the heavier side to come out, we're like, cool, let's do a heavier style, old school Atreyu song mixed with Kazo's modern kind of beats and stuff like that. And I mean, it's just made a fucking heavy ass song, you know, like yeah, it's super heavy. For sure. um, it was cool. Even the process again, like it was, the way DJs kind of do stuff, it was it was kind of similar to we the way we record and track stuff, but it was a little bit different, which was a cool experience. And uh, 
even the uh, the dude Marshmallow came in. Apparently, Marshmallow guy. Where's the Marshmallow head? Yeah. Is <laughs> um, a big. All those dudes, all those DJs are big metal fans, and grew up on that stuff. A lot of country guys too. It's the same thing I'm finding out. Huh. Uh, all grew up on on metal. So like a lot of them before they became famous country or famous DJs were like you know metal dudes. Skrillex, you know Skrillex is a perfect example. You know from first to last. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So the show is called For the Berg, based out of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Here, do you have any uh, favorite venues or cool show memories or? Uh... Places to go in, in Pittsburgh while on tour. I know before we got going here, you talked about that show being uh, kind of a mess with uh, Taking Back Sunday at that Carnegie Mellon. I don't know if you want to get yeah. into that at all, but oh my gosh! So that was a uh, like a pivoting point in our our band's career in one way or another because of our lead singer uh, Alex. He at the time was really um, you know a heavy alcoholic and taking a lot of pills, a lot of Vicodin. I mean, like just handfuls of them and just drinking. A lot and it was getting worse and worse and uh that particular show was the one where he kind of like you know hit the bottom and uh we basically came out on stage and by the time he got out there he'd finished almost an, ent- almost an entire bottle of jack daniels and you know a fistful of pills and was trying to perform you know and uh you know he's uh he was already kind of a wild card at the time as it was anyways so throwing that in the mix i mean he was falling all over the stage and at one point fell into our cabs and our 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 um, tour manager like caught them so they didn't fall over and uh, we have this famous line that we like to joke with him about um he got on the um the microphone he was trying to be like pittsburgh you know we've been here you know many times and blah 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 but he got on the on the mic and he was so just blood out that he was like pittsburgh been here beat a whole man into time and we're like oh my god what the hell is wrong with this dude like Going back and watching the video, it was just for us, it was comical. He hated it because it was just this low point in his life. But I mean, we managed to get through the show. I mean, it was brutal. We got off stage, and we were just like, what the hell was that? You know, and he, by the time we got off stage, he'd already ran off stage and was in front of our bus, just throwing up everywhere and crying and in just a really bad place, you know? And at that point, he decided to stop drinking and completely gave up drinking and turned to like, fitness and got fucking ripped mm-hmm. so do you know do you know what the term jagoff means jagoff yeah it's a uh, pittsburgh term i mean like asshole dickhead whatever yeah, um yeah, just figure being being in a big band like that meeting i'm sure a lot of famous people either on the road or just just meeting them from the recording process or whatever uh is there anybody you were really excited to meet that turned out to be a jagoff i'll give a safe one i'm gonna go with a safe one because uh yeah i don't want to i don't wanna ruffle anybody's feathers but it actually it's perfect that you uh bring this up because it the thing that makes me think of this person the most is Pittsburgh. And uh, strangely enough, so we did a tour with CKY um, in 2003. And it was like one of our first major like US tours for us. And like CKY was kind of a thing at the time. Mm-hmm. So like in 2003. So we were like, you know, because they uh, Bam Margera's brother, Jess was the drummer. They were a whole thing. Um, so before getting on tour with them, we, f- we heard that, you know, they were kind of a rough band to tour with. And their guitar player, Chad, in particular was just rough around the edges and if you know you basically if you pissed him off in any way or just bumped him the wrong way he'd kick you off the tour and like we're a band touring in a van we don't have any money like we're just trying to make it for ourselves we're on our first album like this is like a big deal for us like we need this you know so we're like man we don't want to upset this guy so they were telling us stuff like man if you guys is there's any stage moves you know if you, you have any crazy shit you guys do you have to do it night one because if you go up in night one, he does some move, and the next night you start copying him, you're getting kicked off the tour. And we're like, damn, man. I'm like, can this guy really be that bad? And uh, 
I remember day one, we're in, we're in, I want to say it was day one, we're in Pittsburgh and um, the merch was all at the back of the room and it's, you know, the tables are lined up, people got their stuff hanging on the wall behind it. You guys have been to shows, you know what that looks like, you know? So this dude, you know, at the end of the show, we're like kind of standing over there by the merch, kind of just hoping people are buying our stuff. Um, and this dude, Chad, comes just piss fucking hammered drunk. He's got a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand and he climbs up on these tables and just starts walking across everybody's merch and just stepping on their shit, drinking, just being like, this is my fucking show. I can do whatever I fucking want. Like shit where you're like, man, this is like stuff you'd seen like some like, you know, like Spinal Tap or something. Or like this is crazy shit people did in the 80s or something. Rock stars, you know, their band wasn't even like, well, they were a big deal at the time, but they were playing clubs, you know, they were playing like, right. you know, thousand five hundred to thousand capacity clubs. They weren't like, you know, arenas or anything. Arenas, like, yeah. So this dude was just awful you know like he was just awful and it was like this every day we just do just fucked up stuff and we were just terrified all the time that we we're gonna fuck up and not be able to be on this tour anymore and luckily eventually got to this dude and two shows before the end of the tour like we were just miserable every day we were in chicago and this dude drunk fucking hammered like basically fell off this like small like bridge fucking drop thing or whatever and fell down like 10 feet and broke his leg and they canceled the last couple dates <laughs> shit <laughs> we were like yeah karma yeah that guy but Fuck that guy. but uh luckily chad now at the time he was a total piece of shit i've seen him like 12 years ago since or something like that i mean um like just a few years after and he was like sober and a sweetheart of a guy and apologetic about the whole thing that he was a terrible human at that time and i don't know what he's like now but uh, hope you're doing good, Chad, if you're out there, Dad. You <laughs> suck then. Hope you're okay now. Uh, so we can get in some fan questions here. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I didn't have this one written down here. But as we were talking on my Facebook, Joey Bradford actually asked, he said to ask who your favorite part-time guitar tech was that filled in for the band. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would assume it's him, right? Is that, is that what um, it we're going to go with Dakota. No. <laughs> um yeah, it's uh yeah, yeah, Joey Bradford, yeah. Joey he's Bradford. uh yeah, he's a he's a solid dude. I mean, they a strong one of the, you know, one of the reasons he's playing with the used uh now is is just via our circle of everything kind of coming together, you know, um us being managed by Sean Akavon, who manages the used and manages us. Um and Brandon being in a band with Joey in our our time off and knowing him and just how talented he was and uh how cool of a guy he was, so bringing him around and then uh yeah, when it came time when the U's needed a dude, like, I mean, everybody just was like, oh, my God, Joey, like, Sean, Joey, you got to have Joey. And uh, he's the perfect fit. And like, even the used guys, we've known the used guys longer than we've known Joey. We've known them since, you know, 2004. Um, they were actually on when we did that Taking Back Sunday tour. That was the East Coast was Taking Back Sunday. West Coast was the used. Um, but yeah, like uh, it all kind of came full circle. And, uh, you know, we were you know, everyone's stoked, man. It's just weird. It's weird seeing all of our friends like go on to these other bands and stuff and become super successful. It's it's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the ones I do have written down here, the first two are just they were questions asked in earlier interviews that I liked. So I uh, I kept them for every interview here. Um, do you or anybody in the band have any weird superstitions uh, like like pre-show rituals or anything like that before hitting the stage? Um, Nothing weird. I mean, like, no, I wouldn't say that we have anything too weird. No, I mean, like we'll have a couple of drinks, the ones that do drink in the band um, or uh, yeah, other than that, nothing really. We just kind of hang, just relax. I mean, everything's everybody's pretty chill. And at this point, uh kind of numb to the whole thing we just kind of get up there and fucking just rock you know 20 years later yeah <laughs> yeah um, what band have you seen the most live as a fan not on tour or um anything like that but as a fan going to shows as a fan 
Oh, that's a tough one. Um, who have I seen a lot? Um, I don't know. That's a tough one off the top of my head. I'm not sure. I, think, I guess probably Def Leppard. Nice. I'd say is probably the one band that I've made the most effort to actually like buy tickets and go see multiple times. I think I've seen them like three or four times, which is not even that many, you know? Yeah, but, but still. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't, have, I don't have that many opportunities to see them, unfortunately. The other one would be, even though I haven't got to, like I, I, I love the Scorpions, and I have wanted to play a show with them so bad or tour them, just something. And I come so close so many times. I had one time we played a show at uh, in Las Vegas at this venue called The Joint. And then there's a, a smaller venue next door. We were playing a smaller one and The Joint was being played uh, by the Scorpions. And we were playing at the same time. We were headlining our venue. They were headlining theirs. So I couldn't I couldn't go see them. And then we were just recently in Australia and The Scorpions were also there at the same time. So, of course, I can't go see the show. I don't know how this always works out like this, but apparently Klaus Mine was sitting about 20 feet away from us taking a photo at the same time that we were sitting over by the opera house hanging out. Like he posted this photo and somebody sent it to me and they're like, Klaus mine was, you know, right there. Like, did you see him? I'm like, Oh my God, he might even be in the back of one of my photos. And I didn't even realize I got to go look at my photos now. That's but, funny. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. Short story long, Def Leppard. Cool. So, uh, this one is, you have a bunch of really cool, uh, guitar designs on, on your, uh, guitars here. W- which one would be your favorite? Um, well, my favorite hasn't, hasn't been made yet. I want a sushi guitar that I'm, uh, working on with, uh, Jeff Kiesel. I'm going to have Kiesel guitars build me this thing and see what it does. Um, that's a tough one. I'm torn between my, uh, I don't know. There's different reasons for me loving it. It's like trying to pick my favorite child, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I love my custom guitar. I, I guess I'll go with my, uh, my blood guitar just cause it was, um, for me, my first custom guitar that ESP was ever like, I'm going to, we want to build you your own guitar however you want it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's wild. I can't believe I've got to a point in my life where a company wants to do that for me. Like, I don't even know what to do, you know? So I came up with this concept. And, uh, yeah, it ended up being, you know, once I released it next year, um, every guitar player, famous guitar player out there had a blood guitar of their own version. You know, like it was it was it was like awesome and not awesome at the same time because I was selling that thing and I was making a little bit of money. You know, and I was like, cool, I could I could use some extra cash. And then all of a sudden, everybody and their mom had a blood guitar and uh, nobody was buying my guitar anymore. I had to compete (laughs) now with, you know dudes from you know avenge sevenfold or scott ian from fucking anthrax or joe from fallout boy or chris from in this moment or gary holt from exodus and slayer everybody got blood guitars man i don't know what to do <laughs> my buddy uh matt who asked that question he said his favorite was the blood guitar too so last fan question here if your band could tour with just one other band for the rest of your career who would that band be and why oh my gosh that's a tough um, one I, I i get everybody on that one <laughs> yeah that is a really tough one um oh man I'm going to go with, I'm just going to throw out there, uh, I guess Metall- uh, Metallica, only because they're just huge, you know? And like, if you tour with Metallica, you're guaranteed to play in front of a shitload of people always, you know? So it's like, you know, if you want to grow your band and like, you know, have a chance, like if you could be the band that's like always on tour with Metallica, like, yeah, it's not a bad spot to have. Hell yeah. All right, man. That, that's all I have. I, I appreciate you uh, taking time being on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, stay safe. Nope. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the latest installment of the For the Berg podcast. Check back next time. I'll have Ricky Armolino from Ice Nine Kills and Hawk. Have a good one, guys. Bye.